when we can partner with others and we, you know, we have expertise in how to put learning together in a meaningful way. And then we work with our subject matter experts. And so when we bring those two together, we can create some really impactful experiences and programs. This is Lead with Culture. I am Kate Volman, and on this episode, we're talking about how to scale leadership development. It's easier to build a great culture when a team is small, but once we start hiring more people, we have to be just as intentional about coaching our team members and providing opportunities for growth. I had a great conversation with Anne-Marie Scancy, Vice President of Auctioner Learning Institute. Auctioner Health is an integrated healthcare system with a mission to serve, heal, lead, educate, and innovate. She has over 20 years of experience in education, leadership development, and change management. Anne-Marie is also a certified dream manager. She shared a lot of great ideas on how to implement leadership programs and create dynamic cultures in your organization. Enjoy our conversation. Anne-Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited for this conversation. Talk a little bit about, I mean, you have this very interesting career, but you've been in kind of employee development, leadership training. This has been your world for 20 years. How did you get into it? Why is it important to you? Well, I think it goes way back to how it all got started. I I have been in education and and training my entire uh, professional career. So I started off as a classroom teacher. And when I graduated from college, I went into high school education. And then from there, I decided that I had always aspired to an academic setting to a higher end. And I thought that, you know, I wanted to teach at the university level. So I, I went back and got my graduate degree and I got a job working in an in-service um, teacher education program through the University of Notre Dame. And I began teaching teachers there. It was allowing me to both train and to work with those who were studying to be teachers. And so I would, I, I got the very fortunate opportunity to be their supervisor. And so I would travel around and go and visit these teachers that were under my uh, supervision to, to help support their development in the classroom. So I got to, from the very beginning, I got to use my skills in training and education to help others to do so. And so I, I did that for quite some time. And then the Katrina hit in New Orleans, where I'm from, and it provided an opportunity for me to kind of come back to New Orleans and help as there was a lot of rebuilding and growth going on in the city after that devastating storm. And so as luck would have it, a position opened up at Auctioner Health in organizational development at the time. And so they were looking for people with a background in training and development. So I applied and I got the job there. And that was back in 2006, right after the storm. And so there was a lot of kind of resurgence and rebuilding. So it was a, it was just a really great opportunity. Now, so I've been working with Auctioner since then in their training and development department. It was a very small department at the time I joined, and it has since grown into the Auctioner uh, Learning Institute, which is a essentially it's an in-house university for the system to support ongoing professional development for our team members. So it's it's been quite the trajectory, but it allows me to kind of combine my passions for training and development. And then to to share that with others and to help others learn and grow, which is really just, it's what fuels me. It's my passion. I love hearing people's journeys because it's almost, it's it's that Steve Jobs quote of, you can't connect the dots looking 
forward, only yes. backwards. And right. so now it's kind of like, oh, you were preparing for what you get to do this yes. whole time, but you yeah. really found something that you loved and enjoyed and are really good at and continue to develop the team over at Auctioner, which is really remarkable because it's a very large organization. It is. You have how many uh, team members? About 36, a little over 36,000 and growing. 36,000. Yeah. Which obviously is a lot. Now, when you think about your overall, your 20 plus years of experience in this leadership development world, what have you seen along the way as far as changes, leaders, mindset? Like what are some of the things that has have surprised you along your journey in this world? It's interesting because so much of what we do, we're a support department and so much of what we do is to support and cater to the needs of our team members with a, and we have a heavy concentration in leadership development. And so, you know, the evolution of, of leadership has changed over the course of, of certainly my tenure. When I first joined the organization, we would get requests for, you know, how do we build more professional skills acumen? You know, I need to be a better communicator. So we would work on courses around communication skills. And there was some degree of development needed around kind of the business acumen piece. And so we would cater to kind of these, I would call them kind of one-off exceptions for what people needed, right? They would come to us. But as we have grown as a health system in particular, and then healthcare just in general, having to navigate the ambiguity, the uncertainty, the challenges that come with healthcare, you know, the needs of our leaders have grown significantly. So we have had to evolve as a, as a learning function to meet those needs of our leaders as they have changed. And so as before, we were focused heavily on kind of professional skills. Now we have shifted into more of a competency-based approach to leadership. And so looking at what are those competencies that contribute most to leader effectiveness? And I've seen a shift from really a command and control approach to more of a human-centered lens based a lot in emotional currency, right? So trust, courage, vulnerability. These are becoming kind of the, the, the real big focus right now as we continue to, in a post-COVID world, especially navigate in a space where we cannot neither predict nor control our circumstances, right? And so we have to really be fully kind of vested in who we are and what we bring to the table. And so this idea that who we are is very much how we lead and we need that courage and courageous and daring leadership. So I think the now more than ever, we're kind of doubling down on the human aspects of leadership and leading human, right? And what does that mean? Bringing our full selves to this space in order to help kind of unlock the potential that and the gifts that each leader brings to the table. So it's been, it has been a, a shift. And I would say that we are you know, we're navigating in, in such uncertain waters that we have to focus on how do you manage change? How do you build courage? How do you create trust on teams? How do you build a very resilient workforce as well? Well-being is, is, is top of mind as well. So it's, it's certainly indicative of the waters that we are navigating in right now. What's interesting is, well, you you run this department. This is what you're tasked with is figuring out what are these programs, what are these courses, what are the things that you know are really going to enhance the leaders in your organization. Yep. 
there's a lot of organizations out there. They don't necessarily have a department, right? They don't have a you, they don't have someone overseeing it, but it's important for every organization out there to understand what it is that your team needs. So as you kind of navigate and think about the programs that you're offering, how do you choose? How do you pick them, right? Like you're talking about really important things like having difficult conversations, trust and courage and bravery, all of these pieces. But I don't know that everyone on our team would actually identify that as the problem. So that is kind of what you get to do. So, So for somebody that is leading a team right now and they're thinking, what should I be doing for my team to help them grow? How do you really discern what things to implement and what to leave behind, because there's a lot out there to choose from. There's a lot that you could do, but how do you know what's right for your organization? What I've really been focused on, particularly in the last few years, is this idea of being curious and then listening. So everyone on my team, we all, as a support department, we work very closely with all of our our team members, particularly our executive leadership at our various campuses and hospitals. And so we spend a lot of time with our leaders at these various campuses asking, so what are the needs? What are you seeing? What do you need? What are your challenges right now? And then we listen and they share with us what they are experiencing, what they are challenged by, where they're having success as well. And then from there, we think about, okay, so based on that, what can we do to help to support whatever those those challenges may be, those business challenges, and listening to what they're telling us. So top of mind right now, and what has been top of mind for the past two years in particular, coming out of the environment that we've been navigating in, is how do you build trust, right, on teams and vulnerability in a market that's very uncertain right now. And I think nationally organizations are being plagued by how do we retain talent, right? And I think that that talent, we know that employees want to work for companies where they can feel a sense of purpose and where they feel that they are seen and heard, fully seen and heard. So building trust on teams is a really big piece right now. How to build courage. How do we have courageous and daring leaders, right? And so that means people who fully commit to and own who they are and what they bring. And then this idea of developing teams, how do we develop people? And so the retention of talent right now are some big pieces for us, building trust on teams, creating courageous and daring leaders, And retaining talent, how do we develop and retain our talent? With a focus on how are we taking care of our teams and building connections with teams. So in response to that, we have system-wide programs. So we have the Dare to Lead Courage Building Program based on the research of Dr. Brene Brown that we implement system-wide. Myself and two of my colleagues went to Floyd Consultant and we were certified as dream managers. So we're working on bringing that to the system as well. We've been rolling that out kind of softly. And that's an attempt to really say, do we know our people? And do we know what their dreams are? And how can we help to support them? So in that that space of how we're developing our teams, Dream Manager has been a you know an incredible asset for us. We have a, a change management program that we work with our project management office because understanding how to, to uh, approach change in an era where things are changing, not just on a yearly cycle, they're changing monthly, sometimes weekly. So we're helping to build that acumen as well. 
So I, I think it it comes down to what can we do to listen to the challenges and then how can we help our leaders to get there? And so we we basically kind of create system-wide programs and then we work very closely with our regional leadership because we're such a, a geographically dispersed system. And so the needs in one area and one region may be different than the needs in another. So I have consultants on my team that work very closely with the leadership in these various regions. And so we talk about what are your goals for next year, right? And where are your challenges? And then what we do is then we kind of create a regional uh, alluring plan based on the needs of that region. And so we have a, we've built up over the years, quite a library of resources that we can bring to support depending on what those needs are. So we identify some kind of core system needs that everyone is working on together, like courage, building courage among leaders. And then we customize by region based on the needs of that particular region and what they're seeing. So it allows us to customize and to flex based on those needs. We're fortunate because we've been building this library up for years now to get to where we are. When I first joined Oxford, we could, there's no way we could have customized to the extent that we are today because we just didn't have that resource load. And so we've been able to do that and fortunate that the organization spends a, a, a quite a bit on investing in the professional growth and development of its team members. And they're, they're vested in that. We have a commitment to learning policy that all of our team members are asked to to get a certain number of development hours every year. So we want and encourage and expect that you are advancing in your own growth and learning. So it provides a really good opportunity to be the the learning function that allows that to really support a culture of learning. And let's talk a little bit about your your people because, well, what's funny because a couple of weeks ago we were talking and what you said was we ask our leaders what they want and then we help decide what those offerings are going to be. And I thought, Oh, brilliant, right? You actually right. ask your people. I mean, they think a <laughs> lot of times, right? Like we forget as leaders, we think that we have to have all of the answers and figure it all out. No, like asking your people what it is that they need, kind yes. of like what, like with Dream Manager, right? It's the whole concept of you're asking people, what's, what are your challenges? What do you need to really do your best work? And how's everything going? And then you're able to decide what are these programs that would really help them. So I want to hear about the impact that all of this development has had on your team. Like, what does that look like? Do you have any specific examples of maybe a particular leader that was able to grow in their career because of some of the programs that they were able to do, to work through? The team has just done um, just really, really instrumental work. I would say 70% of our offerings are developed in-house, which represents a, you know, a significant amount of, of work. So the, I have an instructional design group of instructional designers who work with subject matter experts across to the system to design these courses. They have worked over the past five years to design courses and learning experiences around 38 core leader competencies. And then we have, I'd say about 30% of our offerings are those that we curate um, or purchase programs. So it's a nice mix between the two, and it, but it allows us to have kind of a very comprehensive suite of, of, of learning tools and experiences. And our, I think where we have had great success in the past couple of years is with, we created what we called leader pathways. And so we 
we did some research, kind of voice of customer research at the various leadership levels. And we went to like our supervisor, we pulled a group of our supervisors from across the system. And we said, so let's look at these, these competencies, these leader competencies and tell us at your level as a supervisor at Auctioner, which of these do you find that you use the most or that most contribute to your effectiveness as a supervisor, as a leader? And so we gleaned those results at every leader level. And then what we did is we took those and we created them the, this prioritized set of competencies that we, in what we call a pathway. So when leaders come to us and, and as they often do and say, you know, I don't know where to start. Like there's so much in the um, learning institute that I, I don't really know where to start as, as, as a leader. So now we can say, well, because you are in a manager position at Oxner, here is your pathway. So this is where it's a suggested start to say, these are the competencies that managers at Oxner have told us are mo most contribute to their effectiveness. So I would look at these and I would say, so let's, let's do a self-assessment against these six, let's say there are six core competencies there that managers focus on and prioritize in their development. So where do you have opportunities and where do you have strengths, right? And use that then to inform your development plan. Let's start there. It's not, a, it's not the only way that you can come to us and experience uh, the Learning Institute, but here's a, a, a first step. And so we, we encourage them then to look at one or two of those competencies where they have most opportunity. And then from there, there are a host of resources that we have around those competencies to support that. So if they select financial acumen as an area that they really need to focus on for the year, then we have um, in, our, in our library, we have courses around that. We have podcasts. We have books that they may want to look at, videos articles. So there's just a slew of if they want to deep dive or if they just want some just-in-time learning, we have it, it to meet their needs. So we have used, we launched those pathways last year and our directors, for instance, that was our first pilot group. And those directors have been coming to us and telling us that it's immensely helpful. And we launched these cohorts pathways in the regions so the directors from each region kind of come together so that they're those who are working together, they're learning together in the same regions in which they work and live. And they have told us that this is, it's been a very targeted and focused experience and that it's been really, really helpful to them because it is based in what they need, what they base it, they told us they needed. And it has been very applicable kind of real time experience. So the Learning for learning's sake doesn't help unless it's helping you to change your behavior. So we're taking these business challenges and then we want you to go. So if it's financial acumen, then we might ask them to go and look at your labor management. Let's talk about that, right? So let's look at those spreadsheets that you're looking at and let's figure out how then can we capture some savings? So they actually have to go out and do something with what they're learning. Then they come back to the classroom experience at a later time and they talk about the successes and challenges they've had. And we have coaches available there to help them navigate that. It's been very experiential and hands-on and kind of real-time challenge-based. And they have found that immensely helpful rather than just kind of willy-nilly picking something for the sake of having to satisfy a learning requirement. So we've had a great deal of success with our leadership pathways this year. 
How many people are on your team helping to facilitate these trainings and conversations? So I have, um, I have a team of 17 and we have six OLI, the Oxford Learning Institute consultants and three instructional designers. And so those six consultants are primarily their kind of responsibility is to partner with stakeholders leaders around the organization to say, what are your needs? And here's how, as a center of excellence, this is how we can support that need. It's a small team, but you know, they're small, but mighty. They do incredible work and they have a lot on their plate, but you know, we're like the liaison between, you know, the leaders, what they need, and then the resources that we have. And we try to, to match and blend those together and then create these learning experiences. So they do a lot, a lot of good work. And then my instructional design teams, when we hear about needs, people will come to us and say, you know, like we partnered with our uh, DE&I team and they really wanted to create a course on how to help leaders find their voice navigating difficult conversations. And so we partnered, our instructional designers worked with our DE&I team and we created a, what we call a deep dive bundle. And so these are plug and play. It's a leader's toolkit for how to navigate discussions around, let's say, you know, race or gender or our bariatric patients or how to be sensitive to bariatric patients. So we use this as a way to, to help create a voice. And so that's a great example of how our instructional designers have worked with our stakeholders. And we put together this, this bundle of learning courses. It's 12 courses together. And that's been, been highly successful when we can partner with others. And we, you know, we have expertise in how to put learning together in a meaningful way. And then we work with our subject matter experts. And so when we bring those two together, we can create some really impactful experiences and programs. Well, I'm very excited about rolling out, obviously, the Dream Manager program yes. In, yes. into your organization. I think that is going to be so phenomenal. And we're excited to, to see how your team members respond to that. Yes. You're rolling Dream Manager out, but you've done this for, for multiple programs. But when companies do start expanding and growing, what are some of the challenges that you see in incorporating programs to such a large group? of team members. I mean, that you have, a, there's a lot of people in the organization. There's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a good question. And it's the question that, that I get often. And I know that my peers in, you know, other organizations, healthcare or not, the question is always scaling and speed to scale. Right. So when I started at auctioner, you know, someone could come to us and say, you know, I need a course on communication skills. We need to really, so if we identify that that's a learning need, then we would say, okay. And we would go through that process to create a course. Well, that could take, that process at that time could take three to six months to create a course, right? Because number one, we had limited resources that was allowable at that time because we had the time to do that. We can't spend six months today building a course out. When the need is there, it's there. And so trying to figure out ways to meet the need, if we don't have the resource in our, in the learning institute, and we have to develop it. So the question then becomes how quickly can we develop this in-house or do we need to look at options externally that we could purchase, for instance, a program. And then sometimes you have to negotiate that. Sometimes it actually ends up being less expensive to purchase than it would take for me 
to assign instructional designer to build this out for three months. So it's questions about that is, is the speed at which we can create and, and design, deliver, deploy. And then the scale, because, you know, we again have just grown so geographically dispersed throughout the entire state and into neighboring states that the training where I used to be able to invite and expect that the training center that we have downtown New Orleans, that people would travel in from kind of the surrounding areas to come to our corporate training center. Well, we can't ask people to do that anymore because we have people in North Louisiana, that's a five hour travel for them to get down to New Orleans. So what we've had to do is to create kind of learning hubs in the regions. So basically the Learning Institute, we're trying to build extensions in the regions and create this in-person experiences in those regions when we can. But that means that we have to train faculty in those regions, identify those who can, who are the experts in those areas. And we train, identify and train faculty in those regions to support that, the learning plan. And then we've had to rely on virtual delivery too, because it allows us to scale. So the scale issue continues to be one for us. And so we really are trying to figure out how can we maximize that virtual experience and create the same quality and replicate that same quality that we would have virtually that we can create in an in-person experience, because that does allow us to scale. And I think we've done a really good job understanding what that means and how to do so and how to create it so that it's engaging in a virtual environment. And so we employ a lot of um, like breakout rooms and activities based so that they're not just sitting there on a screen doing nothing for hours on end, right? So we, we maximize that learning time and then we send them out to do a task and they'll fly and then we'll bring them back together another time and talk about it. So it's it, that's allowing us to deliver quality and to do so quickly because, because the needs are such that they there's a need for that. And that's allowing us to scale. A big need coming out of the path this past year was how to lead remote teams. Our leaders have not understood, you know, because we haven't been in this space before. So how, do, if I've never even in person met my team, how do we lead remotely? How do we build those connections in a remote environment? So we quickly pulled together and realized that we needed to get something out. So my instructional designers worked with some, our HR partners and some other leaders who do this very well. And so who, who have been leading remotely for a while. And so we capitalized on that and created a, a, a course that we just launched, but we had to kind of prioritize that as a very big need for the environment that we're working in today. So it's a challenge. It's a constant challenge, you know, and I, I don't know that we've ha have it all figured out, but it's certainly something we work at. You're always figuring it out. It's a constant. It'll never be. It will you'll never, never be stagnant yeah. because the world is always changing. No, the needs are exactly. always changing. And so and we have to be adaptable. You know. Yeah, that's one of the things in the areas that we get to learn. Right, we get to learn Absolutely. to be uncomfortable. Uh, be being comfortable in the uncomfortable. We're always in a state yes. of transition in business and in life, right? So absolutely. But I love that you talked to a couple of things. I love that you shared the, your partnerships and being able to reach out. I mean, obviously we're thrilled that you decided to get certified to become a dream manager and have a couple of people on your team. And we, we, it's there, right? Yep. It's this built in all, Hey, we're going to teach you how to implement it. All you have to do is go. We have the materials, we have everything. Uh, you're doing that with some of the other programs, which is beautiful, which is makes it easy for some people that 
unlike you, they don't have big teams of people that are developing all of these programs. And the hybrid is great because I feel there's so much out there virtually. I mean, you can learn anything online, right? But when you have that hybrid of, hey, I'm going to learn something, but then to come together and be able to get coaching and to be able to get real-time feedback, that is one thing that is extremely important. And we've got to be creating that coaching culture so people not only have the information, but they also have that one-on-one dialogue so that they're actually able to take that information, use it, and move forward. Right. So I love that you're doing all of these pieces. I have a question because there's lots of people, there's lots of leaders that are listening that are thinking, Anne-Marie, this is great. You have 17 people plus consultants and all of this stuff. But what are some ways that a smaller organization, like if somebody's listening going, oh my gosh, this is my dream to have all of these programs, the way that you've been able to craft them and, and, and deliver to your team. But what are some things that people can do today, immediately, if they're thinking, hey, I get it. We've got to have more development for our team. We don't have as many resources, but we want to take a couple of steps. What are some ways that you would invite people to to take those first steps in developing programs like yourself? I can appreciate where people are with that because this has been a journey for us. I've had to build my team and therefore been able to build resources over the years, right? So to get to where I am today, it was certainly not the team that we had even five years ago. So that has helped to to do so. So yeah, we're aspiring. We aspire to be more like that. (laughs) I know. Well, and it also it also demands that the organization believes in and supports talent management and development. So I I have to give kudos again to Oxford that they our very existence is because they support that, and so. In an age where we're economically being very challenged right now, you know, we are not, we never did during COVID. We have never in any of the times in the past, nor will we now, we will never cut our development programs, right? So all of our workforce development, our learning and growth and development is central to what we do. They believe in that. So I think it it really starts with an organization believing in the culture of learning and how to cultivate that in development, right? That has to be kind of top of mind. You know, what I um, was very fortunate, the, we have, I guess it was about six years ago, we hired two instructional designers. And so those instructional designers were, they were experts. They're just experts in learning and design. And what they're able to do then with some software like Adobe publishing software or Captivate is another tool that we use. It's very inexpensive. Then we can take with that skill in an expertise in design, then we work with, partner with someone in a, let's say for building out a, a financial acumen course, and we'll work with our CFOs. So we take the expertise that we already have in the system. So all organizations are going to have that expertise, right? So if you take that expertise, so you partner with them, and then you take someone, an instructional designer who understands who's who's an expert in putting and designing learning together. When you kind of you bring together those two, then you can create great things. And that's how we did it from the get-go. We didn't have resources to purchase programs. Then we would say, okay, so we're going to build it. So let's take the instructional design that I have, designer, and let's partner with the expertise that we know we have in the system and let's put that together and let's create a course. And so we did that one at a time. 
And then we kind of slowly, and as I was able to acquire more instructional designers, then we could certainly boost those resources together. So if you have limited budget and limited human resources on the team, I would start with, you know, to the extent that you have an instructional designer that really helps and then use the existing resources that you already have in the organization and just start there. And there, there are such inexpensive tools like Captivate, the Adobe, you know, that you can create these experiences pretty easily if you're looking for a virtual experience. And then certainly to, to the expertise in putting an in-person class together comes from those instructional designers who know what that means and can create very experiential learning. And so my background in education certainly helped with that. I have a, a passion for faculty education and understanding that you can have all the expertise in the world, but it, you need facilitators to know how to facilitate that in adult learning principles. So we have a faculty care program so we can support our faculty. Cause again, I don't have trainers on my team. We work with our experts and across the system and we said, okay, we'll support you through this faculty care program. And that we certify faculty that who can go out and implement and facilitate. So I think you can start small by capitalizing on the existing resources that you do have and focus on the learning, right? In development and, and learning especially, there's, I think, a tendency to kind of focus on just what's the content and like getting content out there. And then remember that our job in the Learning Institute is to create an engaging experience with the learner and the content. We want them to be engaged in it so that it leads to a change of behavior, right? So it's not just a data dump of and a PowerPoint presentation of all this, this data, right? So we are facilitating, we're not presenting. There's a difference. And facilitation yeah. means that you are creating an experience and engagement between the learner and that content. And so we really focus on the learning aspect of it. And that, you know, that's where it helps to really have learning specialists on the team that can create those experiences for, for everyone. Yeah. And ask your team, get your team involved ask with a, team. with the smaller team. It's even easier because now you get to, you have more one-on-one -on -one figuring out what it is that you, that they really need, what skill set yep. they need. And then that can kind of determine yep. how you're going to take that next step. Yep. Don't make assumptions about yeah. what, what you think that they need ask them, right? Yes. So again, stay curious and then listen to what they're telling you. And and very often you're going to find it's, it's probably the, a lot of the same things over and over, you know, because they're probably challenged in the same waters that we're all navigating in, right? And and then then you can go from there and then you truly are being a partner with, right? In support of the needs. Yes. And when you create that culture, when you're smaller, it just continues to build Absolutely. and build and grow. And so. then you start to build a reputation, right? You build this trusted relationship when they know that when they come to you with a need, that you will create something that is engaging and meaningful. And that does lead to a change of behavior. The greatest combo we can get is when people tell us, thank you for that. Because I, um, I, I went back to my team and I, and I worked on what we learned in the class. And this has been you know, transformative. So when we get that feedback, that's when we know that we have, you know, more than any sort of net promoter score. I, I don't measure the success of my team based on how many classes or learning experiences we host in a year. I like that 
kind of anecdotal feedback that tells us, you know, when someone sends us an email and says, thank you for that, or this was so helpful. And that's, to me, that's where, when we, we've been successful. And that's, that's when we've had a good year is when we've helped to change behavior. I love that. I love that that's how you, that's one of the ways that you're measuring success because yes. that's so important, right? With getting that feedback that, I mean, most people don't actually reach out and say the thank you or, the, right. or even talk about it. And so yeah. for them to actually sit down and do that, think yeah. about how many people aren't necessarily doing that, but they appreciate it because, yeah. or oftentimes too, we'll, we'll be learning something that when we're intentional about going to a course like this, you'll learn things and not even recognize that you learned it, but it, yeah. it helps you get better and grow because now you're, you've just kind of opened your horizon to so many other exactly. experiences and information that you otherwise wouldn't have. And so you're gaining all of these skills. And that's what, hey, the number one role of a leader is to help your team grow. Absolutely. And these are programs that do 100%. just that. 100%. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope there was at least one idea from today's conversation that sparked your interest enough to take action. If you are interested in discovering how your team would rate the culture at your organization, we have created a really helpful resource. It's our free culture assessment. It only takes about five minutes and you'll receive a customized report, which includes your overall culture score, as well as your score in each of the six immutable principles of a dynamic culture from Matthew Kelly's book, The Culture Solution. Get it at floydconsulting.com slash culture. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, lead with culture.